This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, happy Father's Day, dads that are here today. Wish you uh, a great day. And today we're talking about these high noon moments. We're talking about these times in life when our character, our faith can be really tested. Those times when uh, there's high drama and we may not see that moment coming. And yet, uh, what we're made of and the courage that we have to muster is all that we can gather inside of us. So we're going to be looking today at a story about Elijah, a leader of God, a prophet of God that lived 3,000 years ago. And it's easy for us to think that what his world was like and what he went through had nothing to do with what's going on in our lives. And yet, as we look at this story in Scripture... And as we then look at our own false gods and the battles that we're fighting, I'm going to ask you to keep in mind these three questions. Please ask yourself, what are the battles that I'm fighting? What's the battles right now that I'm fighting? What are the false gods? Are there some false gods that I call on for help? And uh, what's those high noon moments, high dramatic moments in my own life? So today we go back three millennium in time to a time in which the Elijah, uh, the prophet, lived. And during the time of Elijah, the people in the land, they liked to keep their theological options very open. And so they would worship the Lord God when it was convenient. They'd worship the Baal God when it was convenient. They would worship all kinds of different gods. And the Baal God was the most popular of all, which was obviously uh, usually depicted as a bull. And so they would worship this God. And the idea of the Baal God was that he was the God of fertility. And so when you needed your economic prosperity kind of God, you would go to Baal. When you needed it to rain, uh, you would go to Baal. And so Elijah the prophet is confronting a culture that is uh, multicultural, but also a culture that has bowed down to this convenient God, Baal. And so when we look at this today, um, check out your scorecard. On the scorecard, before we jump into the story, what you've got is you've got 450 prophets of Baal versus Elijah. Doesn't sound like a fair game to me. Uh, the Baal gods, prophets, served the local gods. They were people of high political position. They ate at Queen Jezebel's table, where Queen Jezebel would like to have Elijah for lunch. Elijah has no political clout, and he's serving yet the Creator God. So the prophets of Baal believe in this God that controls nature and they want to serve and fulfill the wishes of the people. It's all about what do people want and particularly what do people in power like Ahab and Jezebel want. Whereas Elijah is about serving the the Lord God and fulfilling the purposes of God in whatever God is directing him to do. And so let's jump into the story where Elijah confronts King Ahab. And we read these words, that when he saw Elijah, that is the king, he said to him, Is that you, 
troubler of Israel. Now, troubler of Israel is another name for whistleblower. Elijah is the whistleblower. And, and Elijah says in response, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet with me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Estera who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning to noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now, if this was an NFL game and you could be penalized for taunting, Elijah would be penalized a hundred yards. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed. And they continued in their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the twelve tribes that descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. If Elijah was around today and he was calling us as a nation together, he would probably come up with 50 stones to represent the 50 states. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood and and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on on the offering and put it on wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down. We know about water around here these last few days. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, 
Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Well, what do we make of this story? You know, at first value, it doesn't seem like it's very similar to our world. But are there false gods that we need to identify and remove from our lives as well? Today, what I want to do is talk with you about some gods that I see very prevalent in our culture. Some of these gods are more corporate gods or national gods. Some of these gods are more personal and private gods. Think about uh, the gods that you call on and how that we might shape the God and Father of Jesus into what we want God to be like rather than let God take the lead. One of those gods that uh, is prevalent in our world and has been, I guess, since the beginning of time are the religious empire's God. What do I mean by that? Well, the most classic example currently in our world is ISIS. ISIS is about creating its own religious empire. And any Christians, or any Muslims for that matter, or anybody that does not subscribe totally to their vision and their image of their religious empire are slaughtered. Christians sometimes have been guilty of creating a, a, an empire religious kind of God. I don't want to bore you with history today, but think back just for a moment to 330, the year after Christ. Constantine is the emperor of the Roman Empire. For 300 years, Christians have suffered because they have been the minority or they have been illegal. And Christians were killed with the sword and persecuted. And the more that they tried to stamp out this way of Jesus, well, the more, the more it thrived. But Constantine, when he becomes a Christian, then the church that once suffered because of the sword tried to convert people by the sword. It, it forced people to become Christians. What I'm suggesting to you is the worst thing that could ever happen is when Christians try to force the kingdom of God on people. Think about Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth, they wanted to make a political Messiah out of him. And in our country and in our world, there's the religious right, there's the religious left. And so oftentimes we try to fashion Jesus into what our political cause is. What I'm suggesting to you is that, friends, we don't need any more cultural wars. We're not here to uh, be rigid or unaccepting toward all people. 
If I was a Christian in a Muslim-dominated land, I would hope that I would have the freedom to practice my faith. I would want in this country, in a democracy, for everyone to have freedom of religion, regardless of their religion or no religion at all. Now, I am not in any way selling short the gospel of Jesus. Because I think that the good news of Jesus is for the whole world. And I believe that the kingdom of God, the reign of God, is an unstoppable force. It's just that we don't need to be forcing the kingdom on anyone. Jesus didn't. But Jesus, in his compelling love, in his personhood, in his teaching, in his life, in his example, was all about bringing people into the kingdom of God. Not by force, but by love. So we don't need to be building religious empires, no matter what our religion is. Now there's another false god that I want to talk about just for a little bit this morning, and that is scientism. Isn't it kind of crazy how we set up this false dichotomy of faith versus reason or creationism versus evolution? I don't know which is worse. Scientists who are anti-faith or Christians who are anti-science. Sometimes we Christians, we've been, become known as anti-intellectual and shallow because we seem to be afraid of scientific discovery. And so by scientism, I'm not putting down science. Science has great value and worth. But there is a scientism that is a God in our culture that we have to watch out for. And it's the idea that science provides the ultimate answer to all of life's problems. That if you can't verify something under a microscope or through a telescope, then we can't know that. The truth of the matter is that scientism is is worshipped in such a way that sometimes people will rush to judgment. There's been so many ironclad studies done in my lifetime and in yours that was said this is the truth about something only to find out later that there's more truth to be had. I love the quote that science is also a fashion industry with theories changing regularly, though not as often as hemlines. When I was a child, I was told the scientific study evidence was don't eat butter, eat margarine. And how many times has that been reversed? And so, scientism, science, a great value. But it seems that many people are choosing scientism as the ultimate value and God of our world at the expense of mystery and faith. Well, there's another God that we need to identify today, and that's a utilitarian kind of a God. This is the God that existed in many ways in the time of Elijah. They wanted a push-button God. They wanted a God that would satisfy whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted it. 
The best description I have of this kind of a God, this utilitarian kind of a God, is found in the quote that God is something like a combination of a divine butler and a cosmic therapist. He's always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. We, uh, we're in danger of just kind of reducing God to a robotic kind of a God that is there to answer our whims and our fancy and what we want. And when God doesn't answer our prayers just the way we want, when God doesn't serve our needs, we fire him. We fire God. And we seek another God. And another God. And closely related to to this God is is the self-gratification God. This is the God that I ultimately have to look out for. It's the God of me. Me. I'm the center of my universe. I live in a selfie world. And self-gratification becomes the ultimate God of my life. Recently, our staff went on a trip to St. Louis. The main purpose of the trip was to have fun and to build a a sense of, of bonding and relationships with each other. So when you ride in one van together and you hang out together for three days, you, you get to, to test that out. And uh, we have a fun group, a fun staff. We, we could never have Pastor Jim look the right direction when we were taking pictures. But otherwise, we, we, we got along fine. But one of the things we discovered in Schweitzer's new van is, do you know that our church van does not have cup holders? There are no cup holders in our van. And someone pointed out, that's a first world problem. Do you know that uh, we have air conditioning problems at Schweitzer? That's a first world problem. Do you know that two-thirds to three-fourths of the world isn't worried about air conditioning? Do you know that when you and I get inconvenienced about anything, it's so easy for us to focus on that? About ten years ago, I went to Nicaragua with the Rainbow Network. I never forget the words of a native there who said, It must be very difficult to follow God in your country since you have so many distractions. He said he would pray for us. It's hard, my friends, to live in such a selfie world, a self-centered world, a materialistic world, and not bow down to that God all the time. So I want to pose the question, what's what's the false God? What's the attitude? What's the spirit that makes you tick? And how is it that you and I, instead of really letting God 
control our life and shape us and form us in His image. We're always about trying to shape God into ours. That is a first world problem. That's a problem I face every day. Don't you? Well, this is Father's Day. So I want to shift with you and talk just a little bit about the importance of being a dad. I think about this drama here and I think about that young man sitting at the table and there's been so many young men and women, but particularly young men that sit at those tables all the time in our world, in our nation, in our culture. We have tragedies like Charleston where we can't even begin to fathom what in the world were the dynamics that created uh, such a tragedy. And these things are happening all the time. (laughs) And it is so easy for me, if not you, to just become numb to this. Or to think about, gosh, it's beyond us, what do we do? I recently went to uh, a good dad day with colleagues. And I came across and learned of this father initiative movement that's in our country. And to those of you who are dads, or those who aspire to be dads, or those who need some dads in your life that are good or restored, I want to point you to that website as a resource. And I want to suggest to you that this organization is getting it right because it's uh, an organization that's asking the second question. Uh, It's a second question organization in a first question world. Now, the first question, when we see a child in need, we often ask, what can I do to help that child in need? But that's not really that's not really the question. The question is, how did that child get there in the first place? Why does he need my help? And until we in some way understand the root causes and the problems and the issues, particularly of father absence, we don't get to the root of the issue. And so fatherhood is about helping fathers to become better dads, whether they've never messed up with the law or whether they have. It's about restoring young men or older men that have had some bad stuff happen to them and say that it needs to end here. So this morning, I just want to end this message with an upbeat video. It's a fun video. It's it's a a video about being a dad. And uh, for all of you who are fathers out there, uh, I wish you God's blessings and hope you enjoy this video. I hope you really love being a dad. You awake? Yeah, of course I'm awake. Is that a new mask? Oh, yeah. I love it. It's really creepy. I know, right? Yeah, good stuff. Thanks. Hey, let me introduce myself. My name is, and proud of it, and all dads should be. Dad, 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 dad. 
You know why. Kids think we're awesome. We get our hands messy. We tell hilarious jokes. Hey, Nolan, we gotta get up, buddy. We never say no to dress up. We build the best forts. We do work, work, and we do homework. We lead by example. We blow their minds. Can't believe he's his father. I know. That is called a plot twist. Being awesome isn't about breaking rules. It's about making them. Hot stuff coming through. Wife and the coffee. And breakfast is for breakfast. Hey, Nolan, give me a look here. Suggestion. That's a boy. That's a man. But it's also for lunch, dinner, and midnight snacks. Straight me's aren't boo-boos, they are badges of bravery on the playground. Hey, Victoria, that profile pic? Awesome. When you're a dad, hugs can be bear hugs, but they can also be high fives, fist bumps, and next level handshakes. Kids, they're our best friends. They're our greatest fans. Buddy, you've been gaining muscle mass. Nice. And they look to us like the same way we look at superheroes. Up, because we're taller. Now, dadhood isn't always easy. When a rule is broken, we're the enforcement. Hey, buddy, it's garbage day. But when a heart is broken, we're the reinforcement. And we wouldn't have it any other way. Because being a dad is awesome. Just like new peanut butter Cheerios are awesome. That's why it's the official cereal of dadhood. And this, this, my friends, this is how to dad.